you've been looking for a podcast to help you transform your physical and mental one that'll shoot you straight between the eyes with truth and no bs helping you have the right mindset to accomplish things the iron will and fortitude to follow through with what you say you're going to do no excuses Mark owns martial arts schools, and after 30 years, he has some real insight for real talk, real life, real conversations, motivational, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, live from the Great 1-8. This is Real Talk with Mark Cox. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. All right. It's good to have you, Noel. We, uh, we've got to uh, play a little bit, but we, I'll introduce you real quick. So we got Noel Lilly, which is a firefighter. What are you out of? Which, which your, which your I work at Station 15. I work for the County of Los Angeles. Station 15 is in Whittier. Out in Whittier. Firefighter. And uh, let's get your background a little bit, uh, Noel, about your family. And uh, let's talk about your military background. And then how you got in to be a firefighter once you got, because I know that uh, you were with the Ranger Battalion, and which is close to our hearts, so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself real quick. Yeah, so again, I'm Noel Lilly. I'm married to Heather. We've been married for 18 years. I have three kids, Avery, North, and Indy. They are 16, 15, and 6. I grew up at Hume Lake Christian Camps, which is in the Sierra Nevada Mountains. So if you know where Fresno is, you just go east of Fresno up in the mountains. It's up there. So I grew up there. I decided when I was about 12 years old I wanted to be an Army Ranger. I had watched a documentary on Ranger School, and my grandma had recorded it on a VHS tape. She would send us VHS because we didn't have TV. <laughs> right. couldn't get TV up there at the time. So I'd watched it hundreds of times, and I just knew that's what I wanted to do. So when I turned 18, I signed up and went off and did that. Uh, got in. I was in 1st Ranger Battalion. I ended up deploying into Iraq twice and once into Afghanistan. So saw combat there, did that. I actually loved it. It was great. Uh, obviously, it was very hard, but I liked it a lot. I had some good friends in there. And then um, after I graduated basic training, Heather and I got married. So we knew each other when we were kids up there at Hume. So we did got you, guys, you, you guys met there at Hume, too? We did, mm-hmm. yeah. She was up there and... Uh, high school sweetheart type of thing, got married, and we actually ended up getting pregnant right before my first deployment to Iraq. So once we had the kids, we had twins. Once we had the kids and we were kind of doing that and doing the Ranger Battalion thing, it became pretty apparent that the speed of the job was not going to work out with the family's needs. So Heather and the two babies, it just was, I was gone all the time. You know, we yeah. were either overseas or we were training to go overseas again. So I was really gone constantly, and it became pretty apparent to me that I could either keep that job or I could keep my family. So we decided that we were going to get out, so I didn't stay in for very long. And then uh, without going too deep into it, just before we got out, I had about a month left. Our sons, we had twins, Asher, he passed away in the night of SIDS. And so that started a whole chain of events where they actually let me out of the military a month early on a hardship discharge, which is still honorable. But Mm -hmm. what that did for me was it took me off the reserve list. So when you sign up for any kind of military service, 
you sign up for eight years. And then depending on how you sign your contract, it could be four years active, four years reserve. And the reason that mattered to me, the reason that the hardship discharge mattered is that took me off the reserve list, so they couldn't call me back in. And during that time, it was when we were doing the surge in Iraq and all right. that stuff was mm-hmm. going on. So I had buddies that got out at the same time, and they all got called immediately back in. And the bummer about that is, obviously, apart from the personal side where you're yeah. trying to get out and they call you back in, the bummer is they'll take you. You're a ranger. You've been doing that for however long. You've got this job. You've got you've been in special operations world, and they'll take you to the needs of the Army. So they're like, hey, we need a, uh, we need a PSYOPs guy to drive this truck around – Iraq that broadcasts, you know, propaganda messages, Mm -hmm. literally had a buddy that that happened to him. And then he had to go do that for a year because, you know, he was still in the reserves and they could do whatever they want with you. That almost never happens, but back then it was happening. So I got out, uh, we came back to California. We were living in Clovis, which is near Fresno, Central Valley, living in a house that, uh, had belonged to my grandparents. And I was just working dead end jobs, just trying to provide for the family. We were obviously, we were struggling just because we, you know, we had just lost our, our son. And so right. life was hard. Um, I was, I was using alcohol as a coping mechanism, which is obviously the worst thing you can do or one of the worst things. So I was just working dead end jobs, wasn't feeling fulfilled. I really missed the camaraderie of the Ranger Battalion and I just couldn't figure out what I should do. I thought that law enforcement was a good fit. Well, I not thought I knew that with my background, law enforcement would be a good fit. But I had told my wife that I wouldn't go do anything that was uh, dangerous because <laughs> I had been in the Ranger Battalion and going to war and doing these things. And, you know, we were engaged in stuff. I never asked her permission, like, hey, can I go do the Ranger Battalion thing? It was just, I'm doing this, right? It's what I'm doing. So I had we had talked about it, and I had agreed that I wouldn't do law enforcement because I had been looking at U.S. Marshals and FBI and local law enforcement. But she just at that point in her life wasn't comfortable with that because of the inherent danger of what those guys do. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just didn't know what to do. That was the only thing I could think of that fit kind of the, the skill set that I had from my time in the battalion. And then I was talking to my dad and he's like, Hey, I know this fireman and, uh, he seems pretty happy with his job. You know, he seems to be home a lot. You should talk to him. So I went and talked to this guy. He actually ended up working. He was, he works for it or worked. He's retired now, but he worked for LA County, which is where I work now. And he had me sold on the job in like five minutes. Just, I was mm-hmm. like, that's what I want to do. There's camaraderie. There's, it's different every day. I have a purpose again where right. I feel like I'm serving the public right. and doing something positive. And I had literally up until that day, I had never considered being a fireman before. So I started pursuing that. And I was looking at departments in the Central Valley because that's where we were. And I got really close to getting hired with Fresno, Fresno City. I had buddies that worked there. And I just happened to take the test for L.A. County because the gentleman that got me excited about the job worked there. And he said, you have to apply for county. We're the best, best in the world. So I had applied. Long story short, Fresno City stopped hiring people and L.A. County was still hiring and they called me. And so I had no desire to come live down here in Southern California. The only (laughs) thing I knew about Southern California was that (laughs) Disneyland was there. Yes. That we would visit sometimes as kids. And that was it. And we made the move. And I've been doing that now for 12 years. Uh, we started out living in Marietta. Now we live up near Lake Arrowhead, a town called Crestline. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've been on the truck. We call it a truck, the ladder truck with a big ladder on top. In Whittier, I've been at that station now for, I want to say, eight years. Close to that, if it's not quite eight. So I've been in the yeah. same piece of equipment. Working with different crews as the time has gone on, but I've always had good buddies there. 
And uh, that's where I met Kevin, who is the co-host of the podcast that we host there. We call it, it's called the Fire You Carry, and um, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, that's. So you went from wanting not to be dangerous to one of the most dangerous uh, jobs there is as a firefighter. And the and, way I justified and, that with my wife, she's going to listen to this. She knows already. But the way I justified that was, well, it is a dangerous job, but I can kind of control some of that. There's never going to be anyone actively trying to kill me. It's just going to be, you know, building fires. And, you know, I, so it worked out. And it really, I mean, yes, there are times when it is a dangerous job, but it's not nearly as dangerous as what our brothers in law enforcement are doing day in and day out. Yeah, well, especially today. Today yes. is a... Uh, you know, and you, you've seen how that even firefighters getting attacked. Yeah, which that's is true. just something that you never see. No, that was you know never what I mean? a thing. And uh, you know, I've been in the truck as a as a ride. Yeah, <laughs> a ride along. It's a when I was riding with them, I'm like, these people love you guys to death. They hate us. They hate police officers, but they love you guys. And if they heard how you guys talk to them when they're driving. I'm like, these, <laughs> yes, you know, because people are just, when they're driving, the fire trucks come, and it was, I was like, wow, this is really eye-opening for me. Yeah. You know, uh, we watched TV until the bell rang. Right. We went down the little, as my ride along, we went down the, uh, you know, the- You had a pole. There yes, was actual there pole was a pole the there. Those are becoming so, more rare. Are Not they? a lot of those, yeah. <laughs> so- yeah, it's an easy way to get from upstairs to downstairs. It's the way you have to do it, but they're building them all now- any modern station, well, in the county anyway, I can't speak for everywhere, but they build them all as uh, single-story buildings. They had too many people rolling and breaking ankles in the middle of the night coming down the <laughs> pole because they were so excited to go to the fire. <laughs> so they don't do that anymore. That's... We do still have a handful of stations in the battalion I work in that have poles. Actually, there's just two. But every time I go work there on like an overtime, I go down the pole. Like you have to do it. It's, it's That's, a, so, so I went down the pole so yeah. I could say I did it. And I didn't really realize that there's ways to go down that pole. Oh, yeah. If you don't listen to what the guys say, you're flying down that thing. Yeah. And it's no wonder you roll your ankles, right? It's definitely a thing. And uh, so there is a, there is a, a way of doing it and there's a way of not doing it. So it, uh, yeah, that's been, that's been something. So uh, I think that watching uh, firefighters, especially, uh, they're, you know, they're just a, they're a good breed. I, I was doing a, um, instructor course for the sheriff's department, uh, in Ventura. And, you know, the fire guys are right next door. There's a, there's a, uh, you know, an academy. So you got the sheriff's right here and right next door is the firefighters academy. They're right next door to each other. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was there for a few days doing an instructor course for the, the, uh, sheriff's department, uh, defensive tactics instructors and i was watching those guys are just on point you know they had those guys standing for four hours sometimes <laughs> just like i was watching those poor guys i'm like man these guys are on these guys they're just like you know the, that academy is no joke you know yeah that's a good tough academy it's funny you go to different departments and their academies are totally different coming out of the military i was expecting a very military experience and that we call it a tower but it's the academy right and uh for la county it, it was very different and it's different now like it's you know it's constantly changing depending on who's in charge and stuff but i do remember standing there in formation because we would do that and they they trained us how to march around and stuff so we're doing all the, <laughs> all the paramilitary stuff right and i remember being a, a couple weeks in and thinking when are they going to drop us and smoke us which you know just means physical punishment right, right? you're going to yeah. do push-ups together or whatever it is and I waited, 
and I waited and I waited and it just never happened. They just didn't do that. That wasn't how they ran it. And they, things have changed, you know, they, the world has changed. Yes. But that was a different experience for sure. It was still very difficult. Like it was difficult to get through. People do fail it, but they just made it difficult in different ways. So you would get broke off with the pulling of the hose or we would run hills. You know, they did it other ways. They just didn't do it with, you know, big punishment across the de- across the deck with everybody doing push-ups they did it other ways but it was a different right. experience for sure yeah it's definitely yeah definitely different you know back in the academy days of you know there was times in lapd i mean you're gonna put on gloves and you're gonna yeah. you're gonna get down right and uh yeah that's just not that's just not part of it anymore they bring in grappling now which is great i think i think i think police officers should should have some kind of a well first of all you know, you, you need to be able to take care of yourself without your firearm. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, I mean, that's the that's the first thing. And then they have this grappling, but then again, they take all the choking out. Right. You know what I mean? So you're going to learn how to grapple, but you can't choke anybody. Where are you going to go from there? Right. And so it's just uh, it's just such a weird thing on, on, on where we're at today as as uh, just as a society in, in general. Uh, I think you've got to meet Joe. I think talking about your military experience, you got to go through a SOC P course here with Joe. Uh, from the third battalion, so he was. Uh, we he, served together. You did, yes. Yeah. So that that little course was some of the most fun I've had in a long time. Right. That was a blast. I came back the first day. I don't think we've talked about this because I don't think <laughs> I've seen you since then. But I came back the first day and I was exhausted, and I was beat up. I was like sore all over, <laughs> and I couldn't wait to come back. I was like, I was pushed so far out of my comfort zone on that first day. Well, really all the days, but for me, that was great. You know, I was like, this is the stuff that I need. And reality, like you said, it's not happening all the time, but there, there has been a shift in the public's mindset in the way they look at firemen. And we are getting attacked now. It is happening. There have been some actual ambushes that have happened where Guys have set houses on fire and then laid in wait to shoot the firemen when they came up. Like, it's happened recently. Um, Not here in California, in other states in the nation. So that is a thing. And then, unfortunately, because of the nature of our job, we do often show up on scene and we don't really know what's going on. So I have been in altercations on calls that we thought were just medical calls. And then you arrive and there's somebody who's usually high on some sort of drugs and they're not in their right mind. And now they want to fight you, and there's no law enforcement on scene, so now we're fighting them, right? That's right, yeah. And we're trying to do it in a sense where we're trying to control the situation. You don't want to hurt the person, but you also can't allow yourself to be injured. So it's a weird weird place to be. We actually have been trying to get some form of training for our guys because a good good percentage of our guys do some sort of – some sort of training, whether they're in MMA or some sort of martial arts, right. something like mm-hmm. that, they just do yes. it on their own time. So there are guys that are capable and know how to handle themselves, but the most most of our guys do not. And so we've kind of been asking, and as a department, they actually started developing a program that they would teach us that would be designed to allow you to go into a situation like that and to effectively protect yourself and your crew while also not, we'll just say, damaging the patient because really that's what they are at that point right they need to go to the hospital they need some sort of help and they got all the way up through training our guys to 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 go out and train the other guys so they had a cadre and everything and then it just last minute got scrapped 
you know, in our line of work, we're, we're helpers, we're rescuers. And so I know it's hard for the people at the top to look at it and go, now we're going to train these people to, to fight. You know, that's right. how they look <laughs> at it. Right. Yes. Like, no, it's not really exactly right, mm-hmm. but that's kind of where we're at. So it's a weird place to be. And, you know, fortunately for us, we do always roll in numbers. You know, there's at least three, usually more like eight of us on scene. So we're not alone. So you let it know. Yeah. That's, which is, which is a big, which is a big plus for it sure. Is. And the, you know, that SOCP course, you're correct. I think that one thing I watch, you know, I didn't serve in the military, but watching uh, you guys, you're not the only one that felt that way. Like, you know, you just feel like, uh, you know, it took you back to uh, a purpose where you were serving and you were serving with friends. And, you know, I've told this story too about the same thing for like when I had a knee replacement and I'm older now, right? So I'm 60 years old now, but uh, when I, and I, then I had this little blood clot thing and I have mm. to be on these blood thinners. So they they said, well, you can't do any hard sparring anymore. You can't like take like head trauma right, and stuff right. like that. Right. And I felt like I just lost my purpose. Yeah. Right. And then I was super depressed about that. And uh, then Brazilian Jiu Jitsu came along and I found a, my instructor now is a ranger, just oh, like really? you guys. Yeah. Yes. And he's got quite a story himself. You can go back on my podcast. His name is Sergio Machado, and you can listen to him. You can listen about his, you know, he lost 13 of his men. Wow. There, right? And But he is a warrior, and so we had this real gel, and you find this instructor that you can relate to, and so you want to make sure that, uh, you know, he's... Uh, when I, you know, just your purpose. And then, so this came to me and I was like, wow, I feel like I, I, I'm making contact again. I'm trying to choke people out. Yeah. People are trying to choke me out. Yeah. And so I had this great thing with him. So I was super excited about that for sure. And so I understand that when you're going to the sock P course and Joe is just, uh, Joe just retired. Yeah. And, uh, um, it's funny. And, you know, you talk about how things are different. He just did this little speech, uh, on his retirement and one of the one of the guys like gives him grief about about what he said. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> I mean, this dude's a, this guy is a seasoned warrior, man. Yeah, okay, yeah. body count and all. And I'm like, and you're questioning it. Shut up, man. I was I was so embarrassed to even be there for him. I was like, wow, oh, this guy's man soft, you know, betas. And uh, I just couldn't deal with that at all. So, but. So let's talk about your fire. How did you come up with podcasting yourself? So this fire you carry, I mean, it's got some really good stuff in there. I, you. I've, uh, you know, I've been, I've been listening to you guys ever since you, you guys have had it now. So, what made you guys decide to start that? Yeah, we're a year in, which is hard to believe. It feels like we just started, but I had been driving to and from work. I have a long commute, and so I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I was listening to audiobooks and music and whatever, but I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I was listening to several podcasts in the kind of just bettering yourself as a man space, you know, right? Mm-hmm. similar to what you do in your field. And, you know, just that idea that we're going to talk about those things that we could do to be better at whatever it is, whether it's fighting, being a husband, father, that type of stuff. So I was listening to those things. And because of my experiences, primarily my experience with losing losing our ch- the children that we've lost and walking through that PTSD and then going to this job, I thought I kind of have things that 
I've helped other guys with before one-on-one talking to them about stuff. And I feel like I could potentially help other people if I could do it in this format because podcasting is, you know, it's a thing it's growing. And obviously, especially during the pandemic, you know, right. Right. We, we mm-hmm. all started a podcast. That's correct. Right? We all started right? <laughs> <laughs> so it had been kind of bothering me in the back of my head that I should try to do it myself. I kept putting it aside because I felt like the guys that were in that space were doing it so well. You know, I was listening to good podcasts, and I just felt like, well, it's a saturated market. I don't really have a voice there, but it was still bothering me. And one morning, I came to work, and my buddy, Kevin, who's the co-host on our podcast, we're sitting there, and I said, hey, man, I've been thinking about this. It's really been bothering me. And he's like, I've been thinking about it, too. And he was in the same space where he's got a long commute and, you know, the same story. We were listening to some of the same podcasts. So that day, we just decided, let's just go for it. Let's see what happens. And uh, before... Even 10 minutes had gone by. Kevin had bought a microphone on Amazon and had it shipped to the station. <laughs> so the next shift, we came to work, and we're like, let's give this a try. So we had the microphone plugged into, I think, my phone, and we had it sitting on the table, and we're like trying to both talk into it, the one microphone, and right. we realized real quickly that wasn't going to work. And then it just spiraled on from there. We had about a almost a two-year period, though, where we never published an episode. And it was really, it came down to the fact that we were trying to, and I say we, it was probably primarily me. I wanted it to be perfect. I wanted it to be right. this like perfect thing before I put myself out there. And through some help from some friends, Rich Zuniga, who has Talking Out of My Stash podcast, he works at our station too. We realized that it was never going to be perfect. And if I waited for that, nothing was going to happen. So a year ago, we published our first um, episodes, and it's been a fun ride. It's been really cool. We've uh, we've loved most of it, right? Some of it's hard, some of it's a yeah. grind, but we continue to do it. And I mean, from what I can see now, it's going to be something that I'll do. Maybe not in this capacity with this podcast forever, but I think it's a. I mean, you're doing it, right? Right. Mm-hmm. It, it becomes kind of a passion. You love it, and it doesn't really matter. There's, you know, there's the numbers game where you're trying to figure out how many people are listening and you're looking at downloads and all that stuff is cool. But for me, the thing that keeps me motivated is once in a while, a guy will reach out and talk to me about an episode or say, hey, this impacted me this way. And it doesn't happen all that often. But when it does, it's 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 valuable. And I feel like we're doing something that is at least in some small way having a good impact. And it's just fun. We've reconnected with all kinds of people. Um one of my old Ranger buddies, uh, Sergio Leva, has been on, and he's a guy that has been here in California since he got out, which was shortly before I got out, but I'd never seen him. You know, it had been, right. I was probably 2004 when he got out, and he'd been here. You know, he works for LAPD, but, you know, we just different circles and stuff. So now, with the, but with the podcast, I called him up and we had coffee and then got him on the podcast, and, you know, now we're reconnected. So a lot of that kind of stuff has happened, which has been really cool. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, you have a, you obviously have a niche um, about what it is. It's it's a unique, it's a unique podcast for sure. And you know, I think you you've got even in in your year uh, seeing, you know, you have you have a lot more followers than I do already. Uh, uh, and it's just grown. Of course, you just got to have Tim uh, Ted Kennedy on. Uh, Tim Kennedy. I mean, I'm sorry, not Ted, uh, the MMA fighter. He's another uh, military guy. How was that experience with him? Oh, super fun. That that did not, full disclosure and transparency, 
that didn't happen because of the the success of the podcast. That happened because I had gone to a retreat with Mighty Oaks, which is a organization that does these week long retreat isn't really the right word, but they're basically intensive counseling sessions, group counseling sessions for guys that have some form of PTSD. And so they, they do it for military veterans primarily, but they also do first responders. So law enforcement and firefighters and EMTs and stuff. So I went to one of those three years ago and I met Tim there and we hung out for that week and we became friends as much as you can in a week. And so I had been talking to him periodically over the years. And as soon as we started the podcast, I immediately knew that like I've, I've eventually sometime I've got to ask this guy if he'll be on my podcast. Right. And super cool. Tim is an amazing, generous guy. So when I did ask him, he just said, yeah. And so we decided that on our podcast, we do this, right? We do. Yeah. You do in person. Yep. And so it then became this problem, like, well, do we just do the Zoom thing? And we finally just decided, you know what? Let's just fly. Let's just go. Let's buy some tickets and go to Texas. Yeah. So we flew out there and uh, got. The, uh, I brought my wife with me. We we stayed in Tim's house, met his family, had a great time, and uh, recorded a couple episodes with Tim and then another one with his buddy Justin, who was also at Mighty Oaks with us and is a good friend. And, yeah, it was a really fun experience. Really cool. Yeah, that's so. That's what I'm talking about on these podcasts on on who who you run into number one, yeah. and because you know uh, you know an interview like from him can can take your podcast to the next level, and uh, which I'm sure it did. Or I'm sure it you did. did. So yeah. it boosted our numbers quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. and and you know having his uh, notoriety and you know he was he he was I love watching him fight anyway. You know he's just a you know he's an animal. Yeah, uh, he he's is. a beast. Yeah. And uh, he's fun to, you know, he's always been fun to watch. So, you know, seeing that you guys served, you know, how you guys served and, and stuff like that, I, I, I'm I not even surprised that he, he would say it. So so I've listened to you talk about, um, you know, you're at an intensive counseling thing and uh, your children. So you, you, we spoke a little bit before recording about that you've lost children and... Um, you had two sets of twins, right? Yeah. So our first pregnancy was twins, uh, which was a surprise, right? We weren't planning on having mm -hmm. kids, but God was. So that's what happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we lost Asher at seven months. Um, they just called it SIDS, which just means they don't know. Right. Um, and then, so Avery, Asher's brother, is 16 now. She's healthy and great. We had North shortly after that, and he's 15 now. And then big span of time. We got pregnant again, and again, it was twins. Also, again, I'm not, not in our plan. And we were terrified, uh, to be honest with you, and also very excited, of course. But, you know, just the pregnancy and the fact that we'd lost a baby, it was very hard. And then when we found out it was twins, it was like, oh, wow, here we go. Here we go again. Right. And then on that one, um, it was Indigo and Paxton were the boys' names. And Paxton passed away before he was born which then led to Indy being born super premature. He only weighed two pounds, eight ounces, very small. He was in the NICU for lots of months. Uh, it was touch and go there for a while, whether or not he was even going to make it. Uh, he's happy and healthy and doing well now. But, yeah, from those two experiences, I was, uh, I was struggling. And 
I knew enough. I had read a lot about PTSD. There, I listened to a lot of podcasts of people talking about it, and my whole mindset had changed on it. Um, I don't want to go too deep into this, but I will say it. When I first got out of the service, I was hearing all the. There was a lot of news reports and people talking about guys coming back with post traumatic stress, and I honestly wrote it off. And I even told a lot of people, I was like, "This is garbage." You know, these people, uh, mm-hmm. these people are not struggling. I did, I did see combat over there, right? We did. But it wasn't the same, and I had grown up reading books about um, the guys in Vietnam and the guys in World War II and World War One. I. I, I did a lot of reading and, of course, watching movies and stuff as a kid, but I was a big military history, I won't say buff, but I, I was into that. I, I read all that stuff, and I felt like our experience from my perspective in combat wasn't anything like what those guys went through, and almost like we don't have the right to claim that we have some sort of trauma, right? But I was young, and I just didn't get it. And as time went on, I started reading more, and I started seeing some of the signs and symptoms of myself of hypervigilance, um, short temper, the inability to remember things. Like, I was starting to see that I was having some of these issues. And a lot of that was compounded by the fact that I went through a, a period of my life where I was trying to cope with some of that with alcohol. I was just drinking to try to get rid of some of that stuff. And of course, that's a terrible way to go. And it doesn't work. Right. It makes everything worse. And then you add on top of that, come into a job like the fire service where by default, you will see traumatic things. You know, it's what we do, right? You're going to go on traffic accidents where the people don't make it, where you're trying to pry them out of the car with the power tools and you can't get them out and they, they die right in front of you. Like that kind of stuff happens. People have heart attacks. You know, we do that sort of thing. So it started adding those traumatic experiences on top of what I already had, and it started to become more of a problem. And I had multiple people come to me and say, hey, you should look at this program or you should do something because they they could see, you know, they knew. And so I ended up signing up for Mighty Oaks and going. And, man, if you're out there listening and you've got any experience at all with any kind of trauma – you might think that it's not for you and that you it's for somebody else and you're doing fine, but I can guarantee you you will benefit from that program or something like it. Like those guys know what they're doing. It doesn't matter where your trauma comes from. The solutions to it are the same. So like for me, I was hesitant to go at first because I felt like most of my trauma was from losing my sons, right? It wasn't from my experience overseas. There was some of that, but... It wasn't primarily that, so I kind of felt like, well, that program's more for guys that were like in combat and their buddy got killed next to them, that type of thing. But when I got there, and the gentleman that I was working with um, that signed me up, who I'm now friends with, just encouraged me. He's like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like that's not the thing. We're not, we're not putting on a program where everybody goes and tries to one up each other on how bad their experience was. That's not what it's about. It's about talking. You do talk through what you went through, right? You do. It's part of it, but. It's more about what are the steps you can take, how to look at it, why does your brain work that way, why why are these things happening to you, and then how to deal with them and mm-hmm. how to do that moving forward. So anyway, all that to say, if you've got any kind of background in law enforcement, military, fire, and you think you might benefit from something like that, I can tell you, you will benefit from something mm-hmm. like that, and you should get on Mighty Oaks' website and sign up right now. Mighty Oaks, is that dedicated to men? No. Or- so they co-ed. do. They don't do it co-ed, but they have programs for women and programs for men. So I see. Uh huh. And their programs for the women, they do kind of a dual thing. So like my wife can go to that program because she was the, she's the spouse of a, a military veteran or, or a firefighter mm-hmm. or whatever. 
That's but good. they also do females that have served too. So when you go, it was like for me, it was all men and it was all, it was, I think my class was all veterans. They do mix in law enforcement and fire guys with those classes, but then they also have dedicated ones if you don't want to do that. So you're only there with firefighters and, and cops or police officers. Right. Got it. Yeah, that sounds great. So, you know, so that leads us into something that w- that we share. So your brother-in-law is my nephew. So Cody Mooney was my nephew, your brother-in-law. And, uh, you know, we lost him to at a young age to cancer. That was a rough... That's still rough, to be honest with you. It you is. Know, it's not a... This is... It's It's been two years, and it seems like it was yesterday. Yeah. And when we... I saw even that you still have pictures with him because uh, you had a, a relationship where you went hunting with him, correct? I, it's one of my biggest regrets. I never did. You never went hunting with him. I never oh did. My God. We we talked about it all the time, and you know, family and job commitments and stuff. And I just hadn't pulled the trigger. And this is actually it's different, but it's one of the reasons why when the Texas opportunity came up with Tim we did just decide to buy the tickets and go because you just don't know that you have tomorrow. And with Cody, just specifically on the hunting trip, we'd talked about it forever. I've always known that I wanted to get into that. And he was the guy, you know, not only was he my brother, but I call him my brother. Now he's my Mm -hmm. brother-in-law, but he was my brother, right? We were both serving. We were firemen. I had grown to love him as a brother and I had the opportunity to do that, but I just, you know, I was like, well, with work and vacation and money, and I just didn't make it happen. So I never actually got to go do that. So I was just watching him the other day. I was on his site, and he's he's in the forest, and he's bored, so he decides he's going to practice his uh, elk uh, <laughs> yelping that he yeah, does. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was just it just brought me back to to what that was. And so here's the experience that you know. This is where you and I, I think this is where we met, uh, we, we met at Sock P, and then I think we were at his funeral. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so my experience when I came to see Cody was, um, you know, after his surgery, so he had that, you know, his, his what we what would call a tumor, I yeah. guess cancer is what they, they're going to end up calling it. And I remember him being very stressed out, uh, looking for a doctor. I mean, I remember that vividly. He was at my mom's. And, um, you know, he talked about you quite often. I think he, out of all his brothers, I think he looked up to you. I, just, I guess you know, being a military guy and kind of your physical and, and stuff like that, he just always had kind of a, a direction to, towards you. And then when he got out of surgery and he was okay home, and then, you know, the inevitable an aneurysm happens in a parking lot when he's not feeling well. And then, you know, he just doesn't come back. And of course, Cody, you know, I don't know how many lives he saved or what he gave second chances for everybody in there. I don't, I don't even know. I don't know if there's a list on who got, uh, you know, uh, what Cody dedicated to people or what, I, I really don't know. And so I was, I'm there, I'm there with Michael, my son, and I watched this. So we went to the fire station. Remember that time, right? So we're eating yeah, his uh-huh. elk. We're eating yeah. something that he killed, and yeah. they made uh, elk meatballs out of it, mm-hmm. right? And so 
we're we're enjoying that, and then we decide that we're going to uh, you know go down. So the the hearse is there with Cody, and we're going to go on this to where we're going to the service at. That I have never. Uh, I didn't go in the family limousine. I asked if I could just drive myself behind him, so that was okayed. And then I was like, I was in shock on how many people stopped on the road. I was in shock at the firefighters there that even though Cody's on life support, Cody, they, there's people that are taking Cody's shift working so he can continue to get a paycheck. I, I am just, I was so awestruck at all of it that I was like, I'd never seen anything like this. Uh, and then people stopping on the road and, and, and saluting and the firefighters, how many firefighters were there. And I wasn't real comfortable in there anyway. It was, you know, I went and talked to all these firefighters, uh, when, and, and some of the police officers that were there watching him. And I was like, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. Is this what you experience on every? I mean, I mean, it was he was just, and he wasn't a firefighter for very long, and you know, you, you know his struggle, right? You know that he had a dyslexia and trying to even get to become one is phenomenal in itself. And then, you know, he took a lot of this that you talk about also with him because he was a paramedic on top of it. Yeah, and. I don't know. You did you hear the one story of the? There was an older man there that was at his funeral that he would not stop uh, CPR on. He just wouldn't let him go. Mm-hmm. Did you hear that story? Yes. Oh my goodness! Amazing. Right, and I was like, I, I don't. You know, I think that. Uh, you know, where did you? Where did you and Cody? Did you and Cody go through anything together as firefighters, or did he was he already on that on that road? Are you already a firefighter when he was on that road? So when he was still here in California and trying to get hired and working for ambulance companies and doing that thing, I hadn't even considered it yet. And then I, I did the thing that bothers so many people. I came out of the military, and I took a couple tests, and I got hired immediately. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> I went through the tower with guys that have been trying to get hired with LA County for 10 years. And here I am, I take one test and a year later I'm hired. That's about as fast as that thing can possibly go with background checks and stuff. So, excuse me. So because you come out, when you come out of the military, they give you extra points for things. So on your test, you know, you might test a 90, but then you get a hundred, right? Because you get these extra points. <laughs> and to be honest, a lot of departments, you know, when they're hiring people, they're looking for somebody that has some life experience and stuff. And of course, coming out of the military, it's assumed that you have a work ethic and all this stuff. So a lot of departments will intentionally hire guys that have been in the military because they know they're going to be a good fit. So I got hired quick. And then because Cody and I were kind of from, um, different generations of being a human stuff. I had already left when him and Emily started hanging out and then eventually got married. I was already gone. So we never really talked a lot. We didn't, we weren't close back then. And then when we came back and stuff, we slowly started talking and then his, they moved to Colorado and he started pursuing it there and then eventually got hired. We started talking more because now we had this camaraderie of we're both in the fire service together. 
and as I was working through my issues with PTSD and what to do, we actually had a lot of talks about should I even stay in as a fireman? Because I was seeing that I was adding trauma to trauma, and I was I was wondering at the time, like, is this something I should continue to do, or is this hurting my family life because it's making me struggle, that type of thing. So we had a lot of talks. Cody was kind of my guy, um, not kind of my guy, he was my guy, to sound all that stuff off of. And whenever there was any kind of issue on the job, we would talk to each other about it because it was safe. We're brothers. We don't work in the same department. We don't know the same guys. So you could sound stuff off each other. And, um, we did, we did a lot of that. And then I was always interested in his hunting and it was something that I wanted to get into. Cause you know, in my, in my journey to be in shape and fit for my job, I had been learning more and more about you know, eating the right food and stuff. And of course there's nothing better that you can eat than that right. wild harvested elk. So that's right. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be involved in that. And obviously he was the guy and we had gone to several, we had taken several trips out to Colorado. I remember the first time he did his, uh, his elk call for us. <laughs> and yeah, so we had been, we had become friends almost from a distance. We would just talk on the phone cause he was in a different state. Um, and at least for me, I had grown close to him, you know, and in a way that I, I always, I said a lot after Cody passed that it, uh, I've lost people before. So like my cousin, Mike Haynes, he was in the law, he was in uh, highway patrol in Montana. We grew up together. Uh, he got killed by a drunk driver on duty. So I, lo- I had lost him. I was really close to him. That was hard. Lost grandparents. Um, I have another cousin, Wade who we lost when I was a little younger. And so, you know, we've been through that. Like everybody's lost people, right? We've all had people pass away, but, uh, Cody's loss hit me just a lot harder than I would have expected. I obviously, and I don't want that to sound weird. Every time I say it, I feel like that sounds wrong, but it it really crushed me. And just like you said, it's still really hard. It's been over two years now and it's still really difficult. I was just in, um, this is silly, but I, every time I go to Bass Pro, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember. I'm always. I think about him all the time. I have his bracelet on my wrist, so he's always there. And uh, but Bass Pro, for some reason, they're playing the country music. They got all the hunting and fishing stuff, and so that to me is like that's Cody's world, you know. And, yeah, he uh, loved that. Yeah. So I'm in there, and I have these moments where I get sad. I miss him, and then I get angry. I still am dealing with that, where I just get mad. Like, why? You know, this is just not right. It just feels so wrong. So, yeah, I carry him with me still, and I've got his pictures up in my locker at work. Um, I have the challenge coins that I got when we were there at the funeral, and yeah, it's one of the heavier things that's happened in my life. Yeah, that's he's a that that's 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 good that you talked about that because you know you're yeah. You know, you're a man of faith, just like just like we are. I mean, I think your dad's a pastor, correct? And when you were yeah. at Hume Lake, so you grew up in it. Yep. We prayed super hard. Yeah. We saw him come through surgery. Uh, God brought him home. He got to be with his kids, mm-hmm. and then took him home. Yeah. I really had a hard time dealing with that. Yeah. I was like, "What? What? What's up with? Why is this not answered? Why right. was this? What? What's the deal on that?" Yeah. And. uh you know, not to get to see his baby before he's born. I mean, I was like struggling. Yeah. You know. Yeah. With, 
um, that whole thing, it's, uh, you know, there's another pastor that just passed, too. One of my, bro- my brother's best friend, he's another pastor, 53, children, died, was getting well from COVID, turned around and took him. And I'm like, and then this man was getting prayed for big time. Yeah. And I'm like, where is the, you know, that was faith tester, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm still, it still gets under my skin. Like, yeah. Why? Why? Why'd you, you know, what's, what's, and then you start questioning, uh, you know, what God's doing. And then it, of course, it doesn't make it any better. No. It doesn't make it any better at all, as a matter of fact. And so I really struggled with that. I was like, what the heck, man? And, uh, you know, and then you see all of his kids, they all look like him, mm-hmm. especially his last daughter. The daughter yeah, oh, my goodness. Exactly right. Like him. <laughs> I'm like, man, he's just, she is just a little walking Cody, yeah, man. I is. cannot uh, get over it's amazing. Uh, what that, what that is. And so I hadn't been able to, you know, I talked to my mom, you know, my Cody was very close to my mom and dad because yeah. he lived with him. Right. At Hume. You know what I mean? So Cody was very close to him. He's probably my closest nephew that I had. I still have um, text messages. Yeah. Hey, Unc. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's always wanting to do these T-shirts, these crazy yeah. T-shirts, uh-huh. ideas yeah. that he had. Yeah. Funny. And, uh, you know, so we would talk. And, you know, matter of fact, you can see that's a handwritten note from Cody right there on that. Oh, yeah. On that picture yeah. right there. Um, uh, and, you know, those little things. I think you're right about that. These little things that, you know, you can wake up the next day and it's not. You know, people are not going to be there, and that I struggled with the the Cody thing. I was pretty distant at the funeral, uh, talking to people that were in his world more, and then seeing this firefighters. And uh, I heard that you know firefighters come together for that, but I hear that there was something special about Cody that people just kind of attracted to. I don't know if it was his hunting or uh, you know he's always kind of pushing everybody to do something that he that he wanted to do and. You know, and how'd you help your sister through that? What'd you do to help uh, your sis? Let me say a piece before I get to that, um, because I know exactly what you're talking about when you say you have these experiences, and just specifically, Cody, you look at that and you're like, why? God, we were all praying. It doesn't make any sense. This seems to be one of the biggest injustices that I've ever witnessed, Um I've had to walk through that decision process multiple times, and I've watched friends walk away from whatever faith they had because of situations like what we had with our sons being taken or with Cody or the pastor. You know, those things happen, and people walk away. And during my path before Mighty Oaks, after Mighty Oaks, I've had to look at that and say, I've got all this experience in my life that I do not understand and that I wouldn't wish on anybody and that just seems wrong right and we'll just we'll use cody as the example like there's no there's nothing that you can tell me about that loss that would be like oh yeah i see where the plan is in that right i just i can't figure it out and that and i know that it's futile to try right it's not going to make sense i had to look at my faith which i was raised with and had made my own have made my own but i had to look at that and think okay if I really do believe in this God that created the world, that created me, that is holding all this together somehow, those are things that I can't understand, right? I don't 
I don't understand what's holding this table together at the molecular level. Like, I can't reproduce that, let alone what's going on inside my body, your body, the way we interact with the world. Like, there's so much going on there that is just beyond me. And if I believe in a God that has done that, that died and raised himself or was raised from the dead, like those things, which, you know, for a lot of the world, I know that sounds crazy, but those are things that I was raised with and that I believe. And if I'm going to believe that, I have to know that I can't put myself in God's place and say, this is right, this is wrong. I just don't know. And I also know that we live in a fallen world, and so things are going to happen that are wrong. And I'm not going to be able to understand why until hopefully one day, you know, we're up there in heaven together and, and we'll be able to, to see it all and, and be there with Cody and mm-hmm. have those conversations. And and at that point, too, I know that I will look back and I will realize that this time on the earth, which at times seems impossibly long and difficult, right? I've been in some really dark places, as I'm sure you have, too, through all this. But the, it'll just be like the blink of an eye. And then now we're in eternity and it'll make sense and it'll be understood and things will be restored so that's kind of where I'm at with that. It's not, I'm not finished. Like, I still struggle with it. I still get angry. Um, I still get sad. I still deal with that stuff. I still deal with doubts. But that's kind of what I go back to. So to the funeral, to Cody's funeral, um, I had been at another one similar to that when my cousin Mike died. We went up to Montana for that one, and it was, uh, it was very similar to that where there were a ton of people that had come from the na- you know nation nationwide almost from different departments there were just lots of law enforcement there to support um, the family cuz really that's what you're there for at that point right you're not there you are there to honor Cody right or Mike or whoever yes. it is uh-huh. but you're really there for the family right because Cody's gone right he's up in heaven he's he's fine now <laughs> yeah that's that's true <laughs> so you're there for the family but you're also there to honor um, but there, there is a distinct difference and I've been to other funerals for guys on my job and I've seen that happen. And while there is usually a large gathering of people and departments will send people. So, you know, we've had a few recently where the local other fire departments will send rigs with guys on them to be there to support. And it's because of the brotherhood. And it's because we value that tradition of it doesn't matter that you were on one day or if you've been on 30 years, you're now one of our brothers and we're going to take care of you regardless. And that even extends beyond, you know, we may not actually get along, you know, and believe it or not, there's firemen that don't get along with each other. <laughs> I can imagine living with each other. That's but true. when it comes down, when it comes down to, you know, you or me needing something, whether it's a day off or you know, whatever it is, we'll step up and take care of each other just because that's that's the tradition. That's the brotherhood. We are serving the public. We're doing this job that can inherently be dangerous. And as part of that, as part of living together for 24 to 96 hours at a time, you develop this brotherhood that a lot of it comes from going through shared struggle, like what you asked if Cody and I had ever done anything like that. And it's similar to the military. It's similar to law enforcement. You have that shared bond. And so in the fire service you do see that being fostered and carried on. But with Cody, I can just say personally from my perspective, every time I was around him, we were around him and his family, and he was the type of guy that always just made me want to be better. I just I would look at him and watch how he was with his kids, watch how he was with 
his family, watch how he just carried himself and handled himself. And he just made me want to be better. He made me the probably the most powerful example that he was to me is he made me want to be a better dad. He was so good with his kids. Mm-hmm. And when he was home and with his kids and they needed attention, they got a hundred percent of his attention. And I know it wasn't always like that, right? None of us are perfect. But from what I saw, he was an amazing dad. He was a great husband. I know that he was an awesome fireman. He had a huge impact on that department. And I think a ton of that was his, he was always positive. He was motivated. He was a motivator and he was an encouraging guy. And he was, he was a man of character. You know, he had principles and he stood by them and he believed in things and guys are, Guys, regardless of where they're at, will grab, will um, will be uh, drawn to that. Yeah, they're definitely drawn to that. Yeah. So, I mean, those are just a few things. Obviously, he was much more than that. But at his funeral, that I mean, you were there. That was a hard day. Yes. And I had the I had the honor of being asked to be there and be part of the the procession that um, escorted his his casket in and out and to, to stand up there in the front, which was, you know, it was one of those things where I knew how hard that would be. I get emotional and, right. uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's that part of you that just wants to run away and not be a part of that stuff, or at least me, there's a part of me, but you know, you know that, that you have to do, that's the right thing to do. And of course you would never say no, but that was one of the toughest days, but it was also really awesome to see, his department, his friends, and hear the things they said about him, uh, hear the things that Emma said about him, and and just watch that impact that it had on that community. It was tragic, um, but it was also a beautiful testament to to who Cody was a, as a man. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. That was, uh, yeah, that was not a that was not an easy day. Still not an easy thing, and seeing. Uh, you know, my son had a, an experience, uh, you know, he was in a super deep sleep when he was there, Michael was. You'd have to have Michael tell the story because when he tells it, it's just, it comes out different because he experienced it. But he had an experience with, uh, you know, I don't know if it was God or, or it had to be, but whatever it was, he, you know, I had a hard time waking him up. He was in a super deep sleep. And wow. when he came out, he was like... Dad, I'm okay. I'm okay with it, uh, Cody. And he he took him a couple days to bring it to me because he had to process. Yeah. But he had something where he goes, I felt, I saw, I felt a hug with him. Mm. And uh, he had told me that, why are you, you what are you here? Why are you here? Mm. You know what I mean? And he goes, you need to go back. I'm good. And it was such a thing for Michael. When you hear Michael tell the story, he's like, I'm just okay. I'm not sad like he was. I don't know why they picked Michael, but I guess because Michael really, it's not my mom, it's not Emma, it's not my sister. And so Michael, is, I guess, is who God chose because I was super like what you're talking about. It tested me. I'm like, what, what, you know, what's up here? You know, this is not, you know, you, you get to thinking that what's, what's, worth praying for anymore if you took the most precious thing away mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah i do and then you watch the kids and you know how life's gonna go right yeah and uh uh you know you don't expect them to be by themselves the whole time but then again 
you're, you know, you, you don't want to see Cody erased either. You know what I mean? It's hard. It's like, uh, you know, that's not, you know, every time I see the kids, I'm like, you know, you know, you, just, you can't help but see Cody and all the kids because he looks just, they all just look like him. All the heartache they had with the children, with the eyes and the, all the medical stuff that he had to go through with them. And, yeah. you know, that's what made him, you know, that's just what made Cody strong anyway. You know, he just, I, I don't know. And uh, so, you know, that's a, that's just a hard thing. It's a hard thing for the family. It's a hard thing. So, I, you know, it was good to be able to brush that against somebody else because I really hadn't talked to anybody about it. And I'd say, you know, you can't, can't talk to my mom real bad because she'll get super emotional, and so will my sister. You know what I mean? And um, and rightly so. It's their, you know, it's her grandson, and it's my my sister's son, and he's a super big part of our family. You know, Cody was, you know, just just one of those guys everybody likes to be around. You know? One of the things I've witnessed with um, previous losses is that everybody. Everybody comes around you if you're the one that lost, and everything is about that. There's a lot of memories and talk and sharing and support. But then as time goes by, people, they go back to their lives, right? If you're not directly involved in that loss, you've got a job, you've got your own family. And so that, that support system, that checking in on people, that all that stuff, remembering anniversaries of things, like all that kind of slowly fades away, and you're left with... And, you know, this is, I've experienced this myself, but I've also watched uh, my aunt and uncle, Mike's parents, and then now even, you know, you guys, Cody's family, I've kind of watched that. It's only been two years, but obviously that kind of stuff, it fades away. And I think it fades away for two reasons. One of them you just mentioned, where there's there's people that you don't want to talk about it with because you don't want to make them sad, you know, Mm -hmm. right? And you think that you feel like that's not the best thing for you to do in that moment right to to bring it back up and to bring all those emotions up because they're trying to live their lives and do their things and i think there's some validity in that um but i also think that for me at least in the past that's kind of held me back where i've thought something about cody and i've just kept it to myself i haven't shared it because i I don't want to call emily and make her sad or whatever but what i found for my own loss is that if someone comes to me and remembers an anniversary or something or says something about it, there's never been a situation where I've been unhappy with that or like suddenly like, oh, well, why would you bring that up? I was having a good day type of thing because those those things are always with you, right? I mean, you carry Cody with you every day. And because of the way the world works, you can't think about him every moment. Like that's not realistic. But I know you think about him every day. Yeah. You know, he's right there. He's, you've got his yeah, I got him right there. I got him tattooed you've on You've got me. him tattooed on your arm. So if I were to call you up in a month and say, hey, I was thinking about this time with Cody and, you know, it was so awesome. I just wanted to share it with you. I know that you wouldn't be upset about that. It might make you a little bit sad in the moment, right? Because maybe yeah. you weren't thinking about him. But that those type of things, those memories, those are valuable. And I only bring that up to say if you're in a position where you've lost somebody and it's been some time, it's been years, and it's kind of gotten quiet and people aren't really remembering anymore – don't make the mistake of thinking that those people no longer care because they do. I'm, I know because I'm one of those people. Just know that it's oftentimes, and for most people, we don't know how to have those conversations, right? It's because it's, it's hard. It's awkward, right? I might cry. Yeah, and people yeah, yeah. don't want to deal with that. And so 
those people are still out there. They still love you. Don't just assume that they've forgotten or that they don't care anymore. They totally do. They just probably don't know how to share it with you. And if you're on the other side of that and you're on the outside where, you know, I'll put myself in this Cody and Emily situation and I have not been perfect at this, not been even probably good at this, but because Emily's in Colorado and, you know, she's busy and all that excuses. But don't be afraid to reach out, even if it's been 10 years. If you're thinking about, you know, your grandpa or whatever it is, whoever it is, in that moment, send that person a text. Give them a phone call. Like, just let them know that, hey, I'm still thinking about this too. I still miss that person too. And, yeah, you might bring up a memory. That person might get temporarily sad. But chances are they were already thinking about it. Probably not in that moment, but they were going to that day. I mean, that's just the way we are as humans. You know, it just never goes away. So I just want to offer that little bit of encouragement. Yeah, I think that's good. I think you bring a lot to the table. You probably, uh, going through this counseling that you did, I'm sure there's a lot of things you learned. You have your own, you know, the own deaths of your own children. I mean, that's, uh, you know, my sister has experienced this now. You know, I told you before she had a baby too that, that went and, even my mom and a miscarriage, there was a miscarriage between me and my brother. Yeah. I mean, me and my sister. And uh, his name was Michael, and she continually remembers that. Oh, yeah. You know, she yeah. just, that's, you know, it just doesn't go away. No. And uh, so it's, you know, this, you know, talking about having some real talk, and, you know, this is a lot of things that people just don't talk about, you know, and you get, uh, I know me. I won't say anything. Then resentment's going to be built up. Yeah. And then when it explodes, right, it it explodes at exactly the wrong time. I'm right there with you. And right at the wrong person. And then yeah. you're going to have to deal with an, an apology and uh, something that you might get an apology, but it's always going to be something that's going to be, uh, you know, butting heads this way. And I think that, I think that's where I get sometimes, you know, this loss. I mean, this one hit me, man. I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not going to, I mean, I've lost people, my grandparents and people that are super close to me. I've lost a student myself to a drunk driver mm. on, on my watch on, on, I called him and said, I can't come in today. Can you teach this class? And he's coming down on a rainy night on the way to the studio on a class that I asked him to come and teach. He's 22 years old and a drunk driver hit him head on and killed him. Mm. So I've carried that forever in a yeah, day. Yeah. Okay. My my mat's named after him. Number forty five was his my black belt number. You'll see him. It's embroidered on my belt. You know, it's just I've carried that forever in a day that I, it's my fault that this happened. You know what I mean? Uh, that I asked him because uh, I couldn't come down there, and he was down the street from it. So I've had those uh, those type of losses, and it, you know. I've lost a lot of people here at the studio. It's not been, you know, that's one thing when you're dealing just like you are in your in your world. I mean, you you're you're driving up on people all the time that are my brother has prayed people right out of yeah. out of a car when he's when he's when he's went up and uh I remember he's he talked about one of the ladies that he was holding while she's passing away and yeah. praying with her right then and there. I mean those are that's, you know, that's God's, you know, that's God's work putting people where they're supposed to be and then you feel bad about getting angry at God because you're like, you know, you didn't do what I asked and I'm pissed off. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I carried, uh, seeing a lot of that. And I think that's, you know, that was a help to me today. I was glad, I'm glad we were able to talk about that today. Cause I was like, 
I feel like, uh, you know, as life continues going on, you start to erase them a little bit, you know what I mean? And then it pisses me off, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so, uh, you know, because I just didn't, I don't want that to happen. I don't know how it can happen, especially when your kids all look like you. And, they, and you know. Uh, <laughs> they do. Uh, and so, you know, that was, uh, you know, that was some some good insights from you as far as that goes. And it's good to hear that, you know, you know, you know how, how guys are anyway. Men are just a little bit different. Even my own sons have have men's mental health issues, and they're just not really, uh, you know, we just kind of suck it up, put it in the cab, and then when uh, I get pissed off on the mat, I'll take it out on somebody, <laughs> and uh, you know, and then you got to deal with that. Or, you know, I, I've noticed, you know, my girlfriend also she's a, a she's an RT at the hospital. Mm-hmm. She watches people die every time she goes to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so she's got a little callous side to her. Yes, you know. You know what I'm talking about, yep. you know, and, and, you know, and then it's like, this is just what life is. It is what it is. And, you know, and so, you know, she's done the same thing. And Cody was talking about the same thing. I know he talked to you about, he, he was questioning whether he wanted to still be a fireman. Oh yeah. Yeah. We talked about that a lot. You know what I mean? It was, it was hard on him. It was yeah. hard. It was hard seeing this every day. In him, that's probably why that one old man he just he just wouldn't let him go. He goes, "I'm not letting him go." And you know, he talked to me a little bit about that. Uh, you know, last time we had it, you know, he was getting ready for this tattoo that he wanted with his bears yeah, uh-huh. and all that kind of yep. stuff. And we talked about it, and and we were talking about that too. And it's just, you know, he's like, "Man, I wish I would done martial arts." Isn't you know, talk about having a martial arts school and what that what the, what was that look like? I told him, I said, hey, listen, man, it's still dealing with people. Yep. I said, I've had men cry at my shoulders with divorce. Mm-hmm. I said, even myself, I went through a, a terrible divorce. And so it's not just, I don't know. I said, I've seen death just as much as anybody else in here, you know. Uh, been, to, been to the funerals of the police officers, firefighters, the whole, the whole nine yards. So it was good to at least be able to talk about Cody a little bit, uh, you know, because I, you know, being his brother, he talked about you. He kind of was, um, always felt like he couldn't measure up. You know, you you always had something on him. You know, he's in the military. He's in the, and uh, I told him, I said, just a different generation, bro. I said he didn't have dyslexia, and and became a firefighter. I tell you that. And I said, you know, you pursued something you wanted to do, and 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 that's just what he, what you know, he was always hard on himself. You know what I mean? And so. It's uh, funny because yeah. Cody was Cody was so many things that that I wanted to be, you know. Like I, I think it's just as men, like I saw him out there doing these solo elk hunts and you know killing these amazingly beautiful giant animals and packing them out by himself. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I don't think I could actually do that. Like that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. So it was a it was a mutual thing, and yeah, he was a, he was a rat. Well, dude. now did you fish with him ever at Hume? No, because okay. I was gone. I was just—I was already gone. All that stuff was going on. I wasn't there. See, I was in Georgia. You understand that Iraq. you could fish all day and not catch one thing. Oh yeah. And Cody will walk down there, throw it in the line. Yeah. And start snatching up. Yep. And I'm like, man, you—that is just not right. <laughs> he had it. He had. You it. know, he just had this. I don't know what it was. He had some kind of innate sense of 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 nature and what it was he, he did. did. He so, really did. He had a connection but, with it for um, sure. 
Yeah, I thought that was good. I think that's probably kind of uh, some of the stuff you talk about on your podcast, A Fire You Carry. I'm sure this is the kind of stuff that, that's heavy. And One of the primary reasons, ice. actually, I was just thinking when you were saying that. Sorry to interrupt you. One of the primary reasons that I wanted to start it was the conversation like what we just had. These are rare between men, as you just highlighted. Right. We don't do that, right? We just keep it inside. Mm. And then, yeah, it, right, it might become a problem. And I don't, I don't fight or train in this arena or realm like you do. So I take my, my stuff out in workouts, you know, I'll bury myself in the ground in a, in a workout to get some of that aggression out. And that works for me. But one of the things we wanted to foster on the podcast was when we do have these conversations as men, they can be very helpful. And, you know, I'm hearing things from you that remind me of something or help me in some way. And you're hopefully, you know, getting the same from me. And every time we've had that opportunity at the firehouse, or outside of it, whatever, that we've had these real conversations, it's beneficial. And if you open up a little bit, you'll find that the guys around you will also open up because guess what? We're all living life, and life is hard. Right. right Things yeah. happen. Everybody's carrying something. And while it is kind of our, I don't know if it's cultural or just how we are as men, we keep that stuff inside. If you can get a little bit of it out. Now, I'm not saying that we have to get all weepy and share everything all the time. <laughs> that's that's different. Yeah. But having some real conversations, like the name of your podcast, Real Talk, um, you know, I think it's valuable. I think there's a place for it. And I think we become better as men when we're able to talk through those things. They know that if I am internalizing something and thinking about it and stewing on it, it's making me angry or sad or whatever. If I can speak it and share it with somebody and talk about it, it helps me process it. And then I might think about it clearer or I might get some good feedback from somebody that I hadn't thought of because they've got different life experience. And so that's kind of you know, that's kind of one of the thrusts of our podcast. And we we do talk to a lot of firemen because that's who we are. Yep, that's where that's our right. primary mm-hmm. audience comes from because we work for a giant fire department. Uh, but that's not it. Obviously, we also have talked to a lot of law enforcement guys and, and veterans. And then just uh, we'll call them civilians, too. Just, you know, people that we think are are worth talking to that have some some good feedback that they can to share with us and, yeah. and with our listeners. Yeah. Well, this has been good, man. So, you know, we're an hour 10 in. So oh, yeah, uh, I think that, you know, that flew by. Yeah, it goes by quick. Uh, and so I think that what we'll do is uh, I want to make sure that I'll put out on my thing that to, to go uh, like and subscribe to your we will the do Fire the Within. And and I'll have this out uh, pretty soon uh, before the day's end. At some point, I'll do I'll go through uh, uh, the editing process and get it done we'll see how this video worked out and we'll see what we can do uh on the next go around i'd like i'd probably like to now that i've done this one time uh you know maybe what we do is uh we can share stuff about cody maybe on an anniversary of his coming up i love the podcast i think that would be fun Uh, we get uh we'll get some stories out there and 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 talk about them and you know i appreciate it because uh i you know we talked a little bit of beforehand uh it was it was good to hear from the other side of the family. You know what I mean? Because, yeah. you know, you hear this one side. Right. And we're like, we're not as close as we should be, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, because, you know, distance, time, uh, just life, I, I don't know. You know, we always have some excuse why we can't be close. You know yeah, what I mean? I, I, I find it amazing. I've got some students here that they're super family, uh, like 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 this, like yeah. every holiday, every birthday. And uh, we're so not that. We and uh, yeah. And so... And we we aspire to be that, and we're never gonna. It's just not. We're just not gonna be it. Yeah. And so at least we were. Uh, this would be. And our families are gonna get to hear from from uh, you know 
Emma's brother and then, you know, Cody's uncle. Yeah. You know, for, uh, you know, the, the Mooney side and the, the Lily side to, to kind of hear, cause I guess we had some of the same thought processes and it's, it's good to go. Yeah. But. Well, thank you again you know, for having me. This has been yeah, a good time. It was good, man. It was really awesome. I uh, look forward to the next go around. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to Real Talk with Mark Cox. Real life, real topics, real conversation. We're passionate about motivation, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, and coming at it from a real angle. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you had fun. We know we did. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at MarkCox100. Make sure to subscribe and review. And tell a friend or two about the show. For more, hit up the website at MarkCox.com. Till next time, keep it real.